and welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where we are recapping the All Blacks victory over the Fijians. Although it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, uh, despite what the scoreboard said after the 80 minutes, mate. But like every one of my guests that I get onto to the recaps, I'll throw the mic to you, Adam. And yeah, I'll get your thoughts on what transpired uh, on Saturday under the roof in Dunedin. It was certainly a more compelling and competitive watch than the Tongan International. Fiji, tellingly, were within 10 shortly after half-time. Not too many Pacific Island nations have been within 10 of the All Blacks after 45 minutes. The game changed when the refereeing changed. In the first half, Fiji were very abrasive at the breakdown. They were governed with a lot of liberty by referee Paul Williams. They were lying in the way effectively slowing down the All Blacks ball. There was a lot of niggle off the ball as well. And once uh, Williams started to get harsher on the Fijians, things opened up quite considerably. And ultimately, 57-23 is a resounding victory. And I fear for Fiji, if the referee is more stringent at the breakdown this Saturday, the score could be much larger. Well, that's been the big talking point from all of the articles that I've read, the breakdown and the way that the All Blacks were out-muscled, especially in that first half. And I think inevitably, I thought the All Blacks were always going to kick on, even if the refereeing had stayed the same. I thought that you know our, our bench really showed its class in that last 20 minutes. But for you, this is a tier two nation, you know, and I, I say that with all due respect. And the fact that we were out-muscled um, against a team that had bugger all preparation, maybe a little bit more than the Tongans did. I mean, I heard the commentators say that they were practicing their lineouts in the car park outside of the hotel they were staying at. So for you, was what you saw from the All Blacks forward pack, and I mean, where does that put us going into a Bredisloe Cup match in, what is it, just over a month's time? Tier 2 nation Fiji, yes, but if you were to subtract the French paid players from the Fijian roster, they might actually have a very similar salary to uh, the All Blacks the thing about the Fijians is that they are often renowned for their unstructured play. And in fact, sometimes when you're a highly programmed and polished team like the All Blacks and you come up against a team that is completely audacious and apparently disorganized, it can be very off-putting. And the Fijians proved that on Saturday. I just couldn't believe some of the breaks that those Fijian boys were making. and. I know that those guys are, are big boys, but some of the carries, especially by, I think it was the loose head prop, you know, like I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, but the the go for that the Fijians had um, and the belief that they had pretty much from the kickoff, you know, despite them giving up some pretty soft tries, namely that David Harvilli one where it was just a, a straight one-on-one tackle. Um, yeah, I was I was perplexed as to, as to why the All Blacks were struggling so much. And like you said, the refereeing in the second half, open the game up for the All Blacks. But I don't know. That's the thing I've been quite critical about the All Blacks for. Obviously, they go into a game, like you said, with a lot of structure because a lot of good things are built off structure. But their ability to adapt in-game, I just haven't seen that the last, what is it coming up now, 18 months. 
given they've only played two games in 2021. But yeah, the fact that we were outmuscled by a team that shouldn't be anywhere near us, really. And the fact that it, it took to the last 20 minutes for us to really kick on and make it the scoreline that it was. I mean, I, I think the All Blacks will probably be a lot better this weekend. I, I think, like you said, the refereeing will probably change and they'll make a couple of changes. But, yeah, not what I was expecting from the All Blacks, given how polished they looked against Tonga the previous week. Well, Fiji was a significant step up from uh, Tonga. Tonga had 120 test caps combined. Sam Whitelock has 122. Whereas, if you look at the Fijian side, Ben Volavola, He's been to the World Cup twice. Namani Nandolo was an absolute sensation when he was playing for the Crusaders. Levani Bothia, they call him the demolition man. What a tackle that was on Damian McKenzie. Leone Nakawada, he's been to the World Cup twice. And those front rowers were very robust and durable. The All Blacks' inability to change the game plan is interesting, and perhaps that resides from the fact that there's uncertainty at 10. Bowden Barrett, first appearance back. Richie Mwanga, I suspect, will be reinstated this Saturday. But a shout-out for Dane Coles. Four tries in a test match. Now, the All Blacks have had 17 players who have scored four or more tries in a test, Jordan. But Dane Coles is the first one to do it from the reserves bench. How many Mark have scored four tries? Well, uh, how many other Fords have scored uh, four tries? It's a very unusual feat in international rugby. It's never been done by an All Black. Ian Kirkpatrick got three in a test match against Australia. In terms of uh, four tries in a test match, Neil Back did it for England in 1998 against the Netherlands. He was a very classy open side flanker. He won the World Cup in 2003. The other guys to have uh, done it include the uh, very uh, good player from the 1880s, George Burton. He was the first one to do it in uh, 1881. That's a piece of uh, sense. a long time uh, ago. That is a long time ago. And the uh, other guy to score four tries, perhaps the most famous example of it, was uh, Greg Cornelson for the Wallabies against the All Blacks at Eden Park in 1978. And essentially Coles replicated Greg Cornelson, Jordan, because he scored four tries from a metre out. And when uh, Cornelson scored four tries on Eden Park for the Wallabies in 78, he basically did the same thing, attaching to balls or snaffling turnovers and falling over the goal line. So Dane Coles, four tries. And the other guy to get four tries in a test was Keith Wood. He was the Irish hooker who played for the British Lions on two tours. And they called him the Raging Potato. He's an absolute classic, uh, Keith Wood. He got four tries for Ireland against the USA in the World Cup in 1999. You can watch the footage on YouTube. And the last try is an absolute sensation when he runs down a chip kick on the wing and throws the ball into the crowd after dotting it down. So Coles joins Woods as the only hooker to have scored four tries in a test match. And significantly, Keith Wood scored 15 tries in test rugby Dane Coles now has 17, which makes him the all-time leading try scorer in Test Rugby in the hooking jersey. 
Well, I guess his try scoring focus had to go to one man. You definitely point it in Dane Cole's direction. And I guess I, I'll probably have to, I'll, I will take you up on looking up that footage of Keith Woods because I thought that the whole revolution with hookers started with Kevin Mialamu, you know, in terms of a, a sort of smaller, more mobile, compact guy. But if he's chasing down chip kicks, maybe he was the start of it, mate. Uh, Keith Wood was a sensational player. He also attempted a drop goal in a test against Australia in 2001 and in the World Cup in 1999, also against the Wallabies. Ironically, I remember him sidestepping the Wallaby uh, fullback and kicking the ball from the goal line to the Australian 22. He really was a brilliant player, Keith Wood. And now he's a commentator on the uh, Six Nations, so you can listen to him as well. Again, mate, you... um... <laughs> your knowledge of the game um, never ceases to amaze me. But getting back on track, obviously we were reflected on the game and you talked about Richie Mwanga being reinstated. Are there any other changes you think that will come for this weekend's game? I mean, one of the guys for me that I was looking for a big game out of was Jordy Barrett. And he was, you know, outside of his try, a bit of a no-show. And, you know, again, you know, when you're playing from fullback, and the way that game was going in that first 60 minutes, you could argue that it wasn't really a, a back-orientated game, you know, given how much ball was actually shoveled. I mean, like David Havili's tries, um, although he took the right option in running it, you know, those could have easily been spread to the backs, um, like we saw when Jordy did score his try off a nice bit of set piece. But, yeah, I think Will Jordan will probably go back in there. I've, 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 for me, I think that Ian Foster will throw in as close to a first team heading into that Wallaby test in just over a month's time. Um, but for you, are, are there any other changes or any other guys you'd like to see be given a little bit more burn before we take on the bigger tests? A Sam Whitelock to be reinstated at the expense of Patrick Tui-Pilotu, who was somewhat underwhelming in a game mm-hmm. that really should have uh, suited his uh, style. I'd also look at the composition of the back row. I thought Hoskins Satutu went missing. And I think the thing that the All Blacks could do to better their performance is establish real dominance at the clean-out. They need big, tough, regular cleaners. And the best guys at doing that are Luke Jacobson and Dalton Papaletti. So I'd have them playing alongside each other. And it would either be a choice between Ethan Blackadder, who I thought was solid enough, or reintroducing Akira Yuani to meet fire with fire. But that whole area around clearing bodies at the breakdown is the biggest area of concern. And Papaliti and Jacobson strike me as the best at that role. So perhaps having those two in the roster and Yuani at eight would be a better fit for Fiji. Can't argue with that. Would you want to see Havili given another go at 12? And... I mean, as big a fan as I am of Riku Iwani, and I am one of those stubborn believers who think that he can be made into a midfielder if you give him a bit more time in the saddle. But he hasn't looked that great the past two weeks. His distribution, um, namely, well, what you need out of your centre hasn't been that great. He's tucked and run um, a few too many times for my liking. Uh, and then, yeah, Bodhi was already under the weather, so to speak, after what was it, like almost breaking his nose thanks to Ethan Blackadder um, and some friendly fire during the week. And then he had a pretty nasty gash, which looked like one worthy of going off for. But I guess for him, knowing that it was his first test back and that he might not get another opportunity like that, heading into the bigger games, he, he stuck at it. And 
I mean, his goal kicking wasn't very flash. And I, you know, that, for me, I thought that Jordy Barrett would have been the first choice goal kicker, you know, marrying up their stats. But obviously, Bodie got the trump card being the older brother. And yeah, I mean, he had a few t- nice touches here and there. But I think depending on how the All Blacks go this weekend, it's Richie Wonga's jersey to lose that 10 jumper. Absolutely. And I'd consider reinstating Damien McKenzie as well. He's yep. looked the more vibrant of the two in the contest between him and Geordie Barrett. David Harvili to stay. I like the cut of his jib. I thought he did well. He scored two tries. He took some nasty knocks, but endured the most of it. I guess the question regarding Rico Iwani will be who plays centre? Do they promote young Quinn Tupai for the furnace? I'd be doubtful that they do that. Who are the other 13 options? No one, really. Antonina Brown should have a couple more weeks rehab to go. I think that would probably be the only way he probably is the only option. I can't, I can't think of anyone else. If you score 57 points and win the game, you've got to be reasonably satisfied. And if they examine the tape, not that I'm an expert at that, but they would uh, appreciate that they were struggling to clear the ball quickly. So getting bigger, better cleaners involved and perhaps uh, sticking with a similar backline with the reinstatement of Richie Moanga, that might lead to a more fluid display. Well, that's the thing, right? As much as people like to see guys taken out or um, and given opportunities, I guess in his case, Rico is quite lucky that there isn't um, a viable backup ready as of this moment. And I think, like you said, I think the All Blacks need a bit of continuity in their back line. You know, they need to nail down their 10, which is looking like Richie Moanga. I mean, I think you can insert Aaron Smith with whoever. I think he's always going to get his job done. But then those tests coming, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with the Springboks, given all the stuff that they've got going on back home with COVID and that British and Irish Lions series. But yeah, I'm, I'm just looking towards Australia at the moment. And we just need to have a settled team because I think the the more changes that you make, like what they did last year with pulling Rico after one bad game and chopping and changing the wingers, I think the the more settled the All Blacks outfit is, the better they'll be in terms of being able to actually do what Ian Foster and co are wanting them to do on the paddock. Absolutely. And Rico Iwani really is the only plausible option. So he's likely to be retained and I guess the other places in the back line are really just uh, horses for courses. Uh, Will Jordan is really an electric uh, talent, so he is likely to stay. And Mackenzie and Barrett offer similar things, but Mackenzie, just with his extra exuberance, might be the option for this test against uh, Fiji because one of the things that you might like to do is to actually move the bigger guys around and, and maybe getting McKenzie in at first receiver occasionally and mixing things up from the scrub base could uh, provide some profit. I guess I'll wrap that up there, man. And I'm, I mean, I've been waiting for your story and I hope you do have one, the whole of the podcast episode, mate. So please take <laughs> us away with another tale. Well, uh, no pressure on me. Uh, in fact, I didn't have one uh, prepared tonight, but I could always uh, come up with the, uh, Something uh, for you, uh, Jordan. I'll tell you a story about uh, the Black Ferns. The Farah Palmer Cup starts uh, this weekend. 
it's going to be a fantastic uh, competition uh, this year. Uh, Stacey Flula from uh, the Waikato, uh, formerly from Gisborne, uh, was involved in a, a car crash. Uh, she helped to save victims from it and has uh, become the leading try scorer for Waikato. But that's not my story. My story uh, concerns Mel Natai and Anna Richards. And Anna Richards was essentially the Daniel Carter of women's rugby. She played her fourth and final World Cup in 2010 when she was 45 years old. She'd only missed two internationals in two decades. And in the World Cup final against England at the Stoop, England in front of a partisan home crowd of 15,000 people, overwhelming favourites to win. Anna Richards was yellow carded the only time in her career in the 20th minute. So the Blackburns are down to 14, defending their line grimly. And then two minutes later, the prop, Mel Natai, who now coaches Tasman in the Farah Palmer Cup, originally from Paramata Plymouth, actually, Mel, her father, Frank, coached the very first side out there. And Mel got Simbund from a scrum infraction two minutes after Anna Richards. So all of a sudden, the Blackburns are down to 13 in the World Cup final. And Mel, who's basically half, Anna's age is storming towards the sideline and she's absolutely dirty, Jordan, filthy, waving her hands in the air, swearing like a drunken sailor. And she looks at Anna and she says, what the are we going to do? And Anna turns to the big screen and says, babe, settle down. You're on the big screen. Now that is composure and class from the great Anna Richards. The Blackfords went on to win 13-10. Carla Hohepper scored the winning try. Kelly Brazier kicked the winning penalty. And the Farah Palmer Cup for our Wahine starts on Friday. All right, I have to keep an eye out for the competition and another great tale. Thank you once again for joining me on the podcast to help preview and recap another game. I'm sure I'll see you around the club rugby scene over the next couple of weeks. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week and stay safe. Look forward to it. Take care.